Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Coming up on the Money Bee podcast, we talk Donald Trump's first 100 days and the markets. This is Money Bee from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Money Bee podcast. This is Steve Grosser. Paul is once again off. I am joined, though, in the studio here in New York with an all-star cast. We got Sam Goldfarb. I think he's making the, his debut on the Money Bee podcast. Corey uh, Drebush, who's a regular. And, of course, the always reliable star, Ben Eisen, is here with us. Always here to serve. Yeah. What we're going to be looking at is obviously tomorrow is one of those big round numbers that journalists and a lot of other people like to pay attention. It's uh, Trump's 100th day in office. And that is typically and historically been a good time to take a step back and judge how, you know, president's done. And and specifically, I, I want to take a time to take a look at how the markets have reacted to this presidency, because I think very few presidencies since the very beginning of election day started off with such a sort of hope in the markets. You saw, you know, a, a big rally into the end of the year. You saw a lot of excitement about, you know, pro-growth policies. And we've seen that wane since then. Um, I'll, I'll throw it to you, Corey. <laughs> you know, you cover the, you know, the stock market every day. How has the stock market evolved to this presidency? Well, uh, as you mentioned, this hope and enthusiasm right after the, right after the election, um, it's amazing if you look at just between November 8th and December 8th and the sharp run-up in the Dow, uh, mostly because of big financial companies and industrial companies. Those just took off running, expe- expecting loose regulations and all these immediate tax cuts and fiscal spending. And then after December 8th, things really kind of petered out and we saw a change or a rotation, if you will, on who led the market as expectations kind of fell down a little on how fast we might get loosened regulations, how fast we may get tax cuts and how fast we might get fiscal spending. So it's been a we're still up in the first 100 days for stocks, uh, still up quite a bit, more than 5%. Um, but it, it's not quite as as maybe as hoped for or up as the same sectors as we might have expected on in mid-November. Well, ben, I mean, this is something you've also paid close attention to was the sort of the very big sort of change in the sentiment um, in the market, you saw financials. Goldman Sachs led the stock, uh, you know, led the Dow Jones to two th- twenty thousand, then to twenty one thousand. But then in March, Goldman was the biggest or the second largest detractor from the Dow Industrial Average. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely it was definitely a pretty dramatic rotation. Um, I mean, it didn't, you know, when you look at the top line index, it didn't really. Uh, perhaps register that much. It maybe looked like the market was kind of uh, in a holding pattern. Um, but you started to see some of these tech companies really started to ramp up. And in the yeah. first three months of the year, you had Apple up something like 25%, 20%, 25%. Um, 
And a lot of these tech companies really started to go crazy, which is not exactly what you would expect in, uh, you know, if you're betting on Donald Trump, he, uh, he's, he, he's talked of some protectionist policies that probably would hit tech companies harder than some other companies. Um, but, but you really saw all their stocks come and kind of take the place here. And I mean, in some sense, that was kind of a bet on economic growth because these are companies, tech companies are very sensitive to economic growth. Um, but on the other hand, these are stocks that were maybe a little bit cheaper than the rest of the market and, and uh, were kind of poised to take off. So it was, it, it, it was kind of a mixed bag. And I, and I think there was, there was sort of a sense that maybe investors wanted a little bit of clarity on, on um, you know, what's going to happen after the next, uh, you know, after the first sort of honeymoon period. But I'm not sure we exactly got that here. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about Apple and the tech because you saw that rotation and it was – it was almost a rotation back into what has led the market higher for the past eight years. And those big tech companies have outperformed in a lot of ways. And so it was kind of, we're not sure anymore. Let's go back to what we are, are pretty reliable winners and bet on that. No, that was exactly, that was, you, you got to the point that I was going to, you know, sort of bring up was this was very much a return. And it was, and it's, it wasn't all tech either. It was very much into these giant tech companies. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we, they weren't necessarily the fang this time, but they were Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft. Those were like, you know, those accounted for a large portion of the gains that we saw in the first quarter of, you know, of this year. And, and that was very much since 2015 the case. Yeah. And if you even look at um, the NASDAQ, uh, we'd be... Um I would hate to not talk about another big level, but NASDAQ 6,000 and getting up above that uh, just this week. And if you looked at who accounted for 40% of the index advance, it was basically five names. And it was the five biggest names of Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, um, and Google, or rather Alphabet. Alphabet. Yeah, and and that kind of goes back to this whole the big guys. And I, mean, and I mean, it's, it, and it, it wasn't really a particularly bad bet. I mean, it turned out really well for people who bet on the tech sector because in some sense, like, where else where else are you going to go in the stock market? I mean, when you look at – we got a GDP number today that was pretty weak and it showed the consumer uh, kind of pulled back. Some of these consumer stocks are not doing – doing all that well. So, um, you know, what's what's really going to drive the next leg of this other than what has in the past? No, these tech companies, you know, I think investors now view them as sort of having uh, unassailable business models, you know, where they're just generating lots and lots of revenue, lots and lots of earnings. And, you know, (laughs) essentially, if you don't know where the market's going, these are the safe bets. And some of them, like, you know, Apple, for example, is also is both a value stock and a growth stock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, so like this is like if you're not certain where these the, these stocks seem to be the safe place to sort of bet. Yeah, other than other than bonds or yeah. including well, bonds. Well, Let's, <laughs> I, I think, I think th- what we should do is we should take a break and we can now start to we can bring we can start discussing the darker side of where the markets look when we come back. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. For more insights, enable the Wall Street Journal skill on any device with Amazon Alexa. Get all of our podcasts 
as well as the latest news and market updates. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Bee Podcast. This is Steve Grosser, joined in the studio with Sam Goldfarb, Corey Drebush, and Ben Eisen. And we are discussing Trump's first 100 days in the market. And I think this is a good time to bring in Sam to discuss the bond market. Um, because you, you did see a, a very big difference between, between the period of like sort of inauguration to the end of the year and then since, he, uh, since uh, you know, he's taken office. Uh, not inauguration. Since election day to right. the end of the year. And then since inauguration to now. Bonds are are actually down since the ten year Treasury is down since um, inauguration. Yeah, the the yield is the yeah, yield the is yield. around two point five percent on inauguration day, and uh, it's now around two point three percent. And the yield generally goes up with growth and inflation expe- expectations, and goes down when those expectations go down. Um, there was this huge jump right after the election on November 8th. Um, the 10-year yield was around 1.9%. It jumped to 2.6% in mid-December. And since then, um, there's a little bit of uncertainty. It went up and down. Uh, but uh, we're now down and sort of at the bottom of the le- of its recent range at around 2.3%. Um, it's gotten as you know even below 2.2% in uh, recent weeks with just a lot of geopolitical uncertainty, North Korea, Syria, the French election. And I mean, I'm not sure what stocks are doing, right? But whenever these sort of like scary things happen out in the world, the yield reacts um, immediately and goes down. Um, it's kind of interesting. You mentioned the inauguration. I checked back in my uh, coverage, and uh, people were expecting the yield to go up when Trump spoke on that day, and it immediately went down. <laughs> and I feel like that sort of like foretold the the first 100 days where there was all this expectation going in, and then once things start to actually happen, uh, those went away. And, it, and that was a dark, in fact, inauguration speech. Yes. I mean, you know, that was his description of the United States that he was taking over was not a happy place um, in any way. But how much of that is also like, you know, the yield sort of pulling back um, or, you know, uh, yeah, pulling back. Um, how much of that is related to the disappointment uh, from investors that, in fact, getting a lot of these policies from healthcare to taxes to, you know, a budget is going to be actually a lot more difficult. Yeah, a big inflection point was the failure of the health care bill in the in the House, um, even though investors weren't like, you know, really excited about a health care bill, they were excited about tax cuts. Um, and when that failed, it made it seem like um, maybe these tax cuts weren't going to happen. The tax cuts are supposed to spur growth and inflation and again, lead yields higher. When that bill failed, the yield went lower and it's really never recovered since. Ben, you brought this up earlier, the poor GDP number, and this sort of speaks to, uh, you know, one of the other issues we've seen since, uh, or, you know, seen this year and since the the election day. Sentiment among, you know, uh, the popular, you know, the sentiment surveys, you know, whether it's small business to the University of Michigan, um, all show, you know, really high optimism about you know what you know the, the state of the economy and all that however that isn't yet to show up in the hard data and today we, it was a great example of it you know gdb came in at 0.7 i think the worst in a couple of years now um or the slowest qu- quarter in a couple of years now and it was largely because consumer spending 
Right. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was. It was not a good number. It was also. You know, GDP is released sort of on a lagging basis. Right. So this is for the first three months of the year. It'll get revised a couple more times, and it's really. Uh, it just kind of sums up a lot of the data that we saw throughout the first quarter, which was. Uh, which was not good. We saw we saw auto sales pull back in March. We saw retail sales pull back. Um, you know, we also saw inflation take a little dip in the CPI index. Um, loan growth was starting to slow. All of these things uh, are things that I mean they don't necessarily portend something horrible happening per se, but they're 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 just a lot of kind of uh, not good indicators. And I, I think uh, that's something that that. That right, it, it diverged quite sharply from uh, these indicators of sentiment. People talk about the difference between soft data and hard data, and um, soft data, I mean, is kind of you know what do people expect? What's the outlook? What's the sentiment about the future? And um, these measures got really strong. That doesn't mean that uh, all of these people who who were saying they're optimistic ended up going out and spending a lot of money. Um, and that, that that doesn't mean it can't happen, but it, it, it just really hasn't happened yet. And one, one of the interesting things, and our colleague Justin Lehart, um, who's busy writing his herd on the GDP numbers right now and couldn't join us, but he is he he had an interesting piece out in the week, sort of trying to break down why we're trying where why we're seeing such a divergence between the stock market and the economy, and it it speak, spoke to that sentiment where, you know, we've seen in like the University of Michigan survey and other ways, Republicans think the economy is going to be doing great. Gangbusters are really optimistic on it. Democrats think we're going into, you know, we're heading toward a recession. And there's a big divide between, you know, if you if you identify as a Democrat or a Republican. And whether that is actually playing out actually in consumer spending, where the young who are more, Demo, you know, Democrat and might be more impacted by sentiment than older Republicans are actually not spending because of their concerns about the state of the economy. I don't know if that's, you know, how much we can actually prove that, but it's an inter- I think it's a really interesting explanation to why consumer spending might not be showing up. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was an interesting point he made as well. I also um, started thinking after reading that 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 perhaps if if Republicans skew perhaps older and and a bit richer than. Um, then, then perhaps their their spending would be a little bit more impactful. So if people are poor and they're not spending as much, what's its impact on the broader economy? This is and it's not, also a more que- that, not a question I have an answer to. Right, anyway, and, it's more, <laughs> and it's also more that the, the rich's spending habits don't change as much and it yeah. isn't, isn't as impacted by sentiment as well. Because the middle and lower classes are what drive right. the I economy. Mean, my thought is that if it's completely politicized, then it just makes me not think it matters that much. Yeah. Right? If it's just like the same as a Trump approval uh, mm-hmm. poll number, then like does that have any impact on the economy? I don't know. No, I don't know. Um, the, I guess where do we go from here? Because um, you know Ben uh, Corey, well, you ha- didn't have your headphones on. Pointed <laughs> out that you sort of you essentially trolled all of WSJ's coverage of the hundred days by saying this morning that the hundred days doesn't matter. Just had like uh, fifty uh, stories on WSJ.com <laughs> today and yesterday, and then your money, morning money beat came out, which I thought was very good, but it was funny. <laughs> um, I my my everything I do, I try to troll others. So. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, take pot shots at your colleagues. Success. Exactly. That's 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 how you get ahead here. No, <laughs> no I mean, I, I think the point was just that. Uh, so we've had a hundred days, um, and and the stock market has done very well during the hundred days, as Corey mentioned. But um, 
you know, what happens during the first 100 days doesn't really say that much about what happens over the next four years. Um, I mean, politics can throw markets around for, for a certain period of time, but in the end, uh, stocks go up or down based on the economy, based on earnings, based on sort of the fundamentals of a stock. And what matters is the policies. Are the policies uh, uh, going to uh, actually encourage uh, economic growth and 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 help boost corporate earnings. And if they do, uh, th- that's probably a good sign for stocks. And if they don't, then it's probably a bad sign. And also, uh, I think also depends a lot on where in the cycle you take over your your presidency mm-hmm. lands when you point. know your inauguration, because you know you start with George W. and with Barack both, you know, taking over at uh, different points in the cycle when the markets weren't you know were either on a precipitous slide. Um, or you know, uh, in a, you know, if you had other presidents take over on you know when it's right, booming. yeah, yeah, definitely. I, just looking over some of the the historical like four year uh, uh, slices of data, it's interesting that that George W's uh, the the S and P fell uh, during both of George W's terms. But he also sort of took over right as the the tech bubble was crashing, and then he left office right as the financial crisis uh, came around. And then uh, Barack Obama took over beginning of 2009, and the market was just about to bottom at that time. And then he was he presided over uh, eight years of like the stock market just roaring back. So, right, it's it's some of it's coincidence, um, at least uh, perhaps all of it or a lot of it. Um, I think that's probably debatable, but. No. I mean, we certainly write a lot about politics in our markets coverage, so I hope <laughs> it matters to some degree. <laughs> um, well, well, yeah, and I think that that's the other thing. I was talking with somebody this morning about the GDP number, and we were discussing this idea of how do you get growth, and the government can't. The government can make policies that encourage growth, but the government can't force growth in the economy, and it just shows the limits to um, to what the government can do. Um, so, Corey, I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to turn to Sam. Stocks, they still remain near their all-time highs. Yeah. Um, you're, you're talking to traders, investors, you know, every day. What's their sort of view um, where stocks are, you know, sort of going to be heading from for the next, you know, for the rest of the year? Uh, do they think, you know, we're overpriced right now? Um, it's interesting you mentioned that and you mentioned that we're going to go to Sam next because I feel like the bond market has been a lot more reactionary, whereas the stock market has brushed off a lot of the kind of negative or weak indicators. And um, the stock market is all about earnings right now and earnings growth. And so far in the first quarter, we're seeing really strong, I think, we've had about almost 300 companies of the S&P 500 report earnings and they're Currently, that is projecting a 12% or so uh, rise in first quarter earnings versus expectations were for a 9% rise, according to FactSet. So we're seeing that focus on that one area of brightness. And I think as long as earnings growth can stay steady, investors are going to keep buying in no matter what the prices are. Although, caveat, a lot of analysts year-end expectations for the stock market were there. Yeah. So I think expect a little bit of bumpiness, but this should be the range we maybe end up. We could go down 5% and up 5% or down 10% and back up 10%, but this is about the the way. 
What is, what do you what is sort of the bond market which has sort of a more skeptical outlook and has been more reactionary to everything that's going on from the geopolitical to you know the, the policy coming out of Washington? What is it? What's its sort of outlook? Do you think for the rest of the year? Well, I mean, I think that most investors and analysts still would say that it's the yield is probably going to go up. Um, they'll say that uh, the market has priced in a lot of bad news, and it can only get you know the news can only get better from here. Um, and also, there's just this thought that um, the Fed is intent on uh, raising interest rates, and if nothing else, that will help yields go higher. Um, but there are a couple of uh, bond bulls still out there, you know, uh, one or two, expecting the 10-year yield to go below 2%. So we'll see. Okay. That's a good place to end it. Thank you very much. This has been Steve Grosser with Sam Goldfarb, Corey Drebush, and Ben Eisen. Follow The Wall Street Journal on your favorite podcast app. Search WSJ on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any Amazon Alexa device. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously.